Hello to all my people, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but if not, we'll deliver mediocre wrestling content, but we'll sprinkle in some independent wrestling and special guests, you know, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be here with you on this journey, and today that journey is a Botch Bots and Chair Shots triple feature. Remember, here at Botch Bots and Chair Shots, we call it in the ring from all the angles. To be honest, when I emailed TAP about getting passes for their show and getting some time with their guys, I didn't have huge expectations. We're a small, medium up-and-coming podcast, and they're an independent promotion fighting through a pandemic. It turned out to be a match made in heaven. Get it? A match. Seriously. Come on. That's a little bit funny. Whatever. Anyways, let me set the picture for you. The lights, camera, action. I walk into the venue. This is exactly what you'd expect from a regional promotion. The ring was assembled in the center. It looked worn and used, but in a good way. I knew these guys had done some work. The feel was like I walked into a time capsule. The rush of adrenaline. I was close enough to touch the ring. It was heaven for a wrestling fan. I was watching two of the boys walk through some stuff and talk in the ring. It was empty. Maybe six people in the whole room. One of the guys walked over to me and introduced himself. I'm a fan and kayfabe is a thing and it's real to me, damn it. So I won't say who it was. Ha, I gotcha. Hooked. Line and sinker. Or not. But hush. Just listen to my story anyways. Okay. He talks to me. Super nice guy. Introduces a few of the other boys. It was like a family. Kids running around. Excited to meet the wrestlers. Hell, they were even excited to talk to me because I was the guy with the mic. I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was getting into, but it was a blast. After talking through some ideas and getting some stuff ready, it was showtime. The music started, the doors opened, the patrons entered, concessions, sodas, popcorn. It had that real old school wrestling feel. You were sitting on a metal church, smash you over your freaking head, folding chair. Hell, even one of them had a graffiti penis drawn on it. It was awesome. It was pro wrestling at the roots of what pro wrestling truly is. The show opened with Kevin Martin coming out to the ring. He addressed the TAP universe. And when I tell you these guys are ruthless, they are ruthless. I loved it. They have chants ready to go and they know when to use them. The hype for the night was the kingdom and their heritage title holding champ, Gregory McDaniel, putting the strap on the line against rising MLW star and national open white champion, Alex Kane. The first match was Robert Z. Real versus Connor O'Brien. One of the things I love about TAP, and I wrote it in my notes, was all of these guys wipe their feet before they get in the ring. That matters to me. The first match was a fun first experience. You got to see some solid work with a little heat from the hills. The crowd used their organized chance to build the momentum, and then with a little interference from the manager, we got a win from Robert Zero. Quality work, good start, with a little trickery to start the show. The second bout was a solid story told to us by Gavin Mack and Austin Wright. Austin was able to take control early, but a big standing dropkick from Gavin slowed the momentum. Austin displayed some athleticism in the ring with a huge dropkick out of the corner and a cutter coming inside the ring from the apron. What I'm seeing from Austin Wright is that he can move smoothly in the ring, he can work his spots comfortably, and this kid on his first appearance looks like he can work. After a comeback and some work with the ref, Gavin was able to secure the 1-2-3. Ethan Bolton was hit with a DQ in his one-on-one match against Tyler Thorne when he had some help run in from the back. 
The fourth match featured two brawlers with Justin Savage and Zach Austin locking up. Justin Savage works like an old school brawler. Imagine if Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bradshaw had a baby, and then that baby was trained to wrestle by Kane and Dr. Tom. That's right, I said it. I'll say it again, too. The man can work. With a huge spine buster, Savage secured the victory. This is huge momentum for Savage, building up to his title bout for the Southern Heavyweight Championship against Impact Wrestling star Larry D. That momentum was short-lived as the kingdom gained a huge advantage with the return of Malachi, who made his presence felt in the ring. He's big, he's angry, he looks like a star. I just need to see him work now. Let me see this behemoth of man walk through a few people and I'll sing his praises. Until then, he's on a short list of people I don't want to piss off and meet in a dark alley. The tag titles were on the line with Gavin Mack and Ethan Bolden pulling double duty. They used teamwork to split the ring, a little distraction, a nice build to retain their titles. Now it's main event time. This match did not miss. It was the MLW star versus the daddy's boy champion. Well, at least that's what the fans had to say about it. The actual title is the TAP Heritage title, and it's worn by the current champion Gregory McDaniel. Kevin made sure to come out and lay down their stipulations to make sure they padded the bed for the reigning champ. From beginning to end, this match was fluid. If it was McDaniel doing a moonsault from the top rope, moving smoothly for a man that size, or a huge flatliner by Alex Kane in the middle of the ring, the moves hit, the crowd popped, and it felt like a wrestling match should fill. They went outside and got their moves in. They didn't bury the ref, which is nice, which means that they followed the rules. I appreciate that. They honored the 10 count and let that be a part of their story. Gregory hit Kane with a huge spine buster variation on the apron to get some momentum going. As they built to the end and brought it home, Gregory used the tights to steal a win and keep the championship in the kingdom. Alex Kane is quick to demand a rematch and sends Kevin to the locker room, scurrying to the kingdom to relay the message that he's coming back. From my first experience in TAP and getting to meet the guys and work with the promotion, I am excited for the future. They'll give us plenty of wrestling content, and if we don't mess it up too bad, we'll sprinkle in some retro reviews or independent showcases, you know, so we still get over. One of my favorite things about talking pro wrestling is the independent scene and the links to the old territory days. And we all know I'm a true mark for old school territory wrestling. So, with a little help from our partners at Tennessee All Pro Wrestling, we now have a chance to feature these independent stars from the Southeast region and beyond. Our first guest who sits down with us is Johnny Showtime. He is a star in TAP and a member of the Kingdom. This powerful stable has been running amok on tap. Let's jump right in. All right, guys, joining us right now, we got Mr. Johnny uh, Showtime coming from TAP. Johnny, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. This I hate coming down to this show, man. I hate these fans. Look at them. I mean, you, you're here for the first time. Look at these idiots. That lady just uh, shoved like 11 pieces of popcorn in her mouth, and she doesn't even need it. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're you're really getting over here with the fans, then, huh? They love me. That's why they every single person here got some of their governmental money to pay money to get into the place to come see me, see the kingdom, see Gregory. We're important people. So let's talk a little bit more about the kingdom. I know that uh, you've had a chance to, to run through TAP some. What's going on right now with you? Well, I've been suspended for 60 days for some stupid reason, you know, but Daddy Mac, who technically is the owner of Tennessee All Pro Wrestling, um, I had to take kind of matters into my own hands, and I talked to Brian, the referee. I had to talk to him, and um, after talking to him, I got suspended for 60 days. It's stupid, but as you can see, I'm here. I'm not suspended, so uh, I got something on my sleeve for tonight. All right, Showtime, let's talk about where you started. Where did wrestling begin for you? 
Man, it began a long time ago when I was a kid, man. I was an Andre the Giant fan. Um, even though he lost the whole Kogan WrestleMania 3, um, I always loved him. He was huge. He was bigger than life. But I started here actually getting into my career in professional wrestling at Tennessee All-Pro Wrestling. I've had a few stints at other promotions and doing shows, but this has always been home for me. Um, I'll always be here. This is, you know, this is home. What is your favorite part about doing these small uh, house shows and these small spot shows? It's the work, man. It's different every week. It really is. It's not the same thing. We do a different show every week. We don't, you know, last week we did something. Tonight is completely different. Next week's going to be even bigger and better. We got a lot of things we're going to announce. But that's what I like about it. It's not the same thing. So COVID-19 was real tough on everybody the last couple of years. Let's talk about a little bit more about how COVID-19 affected uh, Tennessee All-Pro Wrestling. Well, you know, we had to take off a few months um, just for the, the local uh, restrictions and stuff like that. We want to make sure that we're constantly abiding by the rules, the mandates that they got going out. Um, we always urge people, we have masks here if they need it. We constantly tell people, you know, hand sanitizer, stuff like that. But overall, in the wrestling business, I mean, it affected a lot of people, you know. A lot of guys do this for a living. And when you're not working and not making the money and, and doing what you love, it, it's tough. It makes things really tough on you. Uh, following up on that, so as a, a guy currently in the business, what does independent wrestling mean to you right now in 2022? Man, it's, uh, I'll tell you one word it is to me, and it's work. It's uh, a lot of people think they can get in that ring and uh, all they can fall down and they can act and they can do this. But I would say 99% of the percent of the things we do in there, man, it's all about hard work. Um, you got to train. You got to make sure your body's right. You got to make sure the person you're fighting that night is right. Um, but that's what it's about. There's so many people in indie wrestling right now that want to make it to the next level. Um, but there's a select few that are willing to do what it takes to get to the next level. So on the card tonight, we've got people from MLW. We've had people from Impact. We've got guys from all over the country working. What does it mean to you to have an opportunity to work in the same ring as these guys that are already at that next point? Man, I, I, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun because what I like to do, man, is I become a sponge when I talk to these guys. Um, I want to I want to know how they started. I want to know what they did to get to the level that they're at. Um, I, you know, how many miles they drove. Tell me some fun stories. I love it. Um, you know, so I've talked to a lot of cool people that have been on TV, that have not been on TV, that have been in WWE, then AEW, and I constantly ask that. What, is, what does it take? You know, I just want to know because what it takes for you might be different for me and vice versa. So it's a cool story. And that's what I like to hear is everybody's story, what it takes to get to that level. Nice. Regional championships are historic in territory wrestling. They've always been a thing. So the small independent promotions carrying their own belts. What does holding gold again in uh, TAP mean to you? You know, I tell people this all the time. Somebody asked the other day that this certain belt here should be around my waist. And I tell them I'm not a belt mark. You know, I'm not. Um, all I care about is as long as me and my friends in the kingdom have the gold, that's all that matters to me. I don't care whose waist it's around. I don't care what these fans think, who, get, who gets the belt, um, because at the end of the day, either me, Gregory, Gavin, Zach, or Ethan are going to have that, that championship. So that's all that matters. So let's talk about the kingdom right now. Who do you guys have in your crosshairs next for y'all? I can't tell you that. You're not going to open it up? Nope. Not even a little bit? Okay. Uh, the schedule can be grueling for an independent star. How do you manage the dream of running a professional wrestling as well as keeping everything in line with your family and stuff outside of the gig? Um, it, it, it can be tough. It really is. It can be time consuming, believe it or not, on the business side of it. But um, what I love about it, dude, like I said earlier, it's the work, man. It's, it's, the, it's what are you going to do to make this show better? I want to leave this show better. 
than when I started here five, six years ago. Um, and I know a lot of the guys in the locker room and the girls, you know, they're wanting to do the same thing. And that's what I love about being at this place is uh, everybody pitches in and does their own part. With uh, WWE recently opening the Forbidden Door and allowing Mickey James to come into the Royal Rumble, let's play Fantasy Booker for a second. If you could pick somebody to run a match with in the ring, who do you pick right now? Are they alive or dead? <laughs> let's go. One alive, one dead. Um, if I had to choose one person to work right now, uh, it would probably be either, man, I'd say, believe it or not, I'd say Eddie Edwards in Impact. Eddie Edwards is a yeah, beast. The kid can work. He's uh, he's crazy. And that's what I like. He took me out one time at a show with Suicide Dive. And, uh, but he knows I'm a big fan. I constantly tweet him. But I'd say him. But one that, uh, wrestler worker that's passed away, I, I would choose two for sure. And everybody's going to know what I'm going to say here. One would be Andre the Giant. I would not be scared at all to get in the ring with that man. Uh, and the next one would be Mr. Perfect. Both of those right there. Andre the Giant's always a classic. You can never go wrong with Andre. Mr. Perfect's a technician. He's always in everybody's top ten as far as all time goes. Um, okay, quick uh, rapid fire round. Favorite finish of all time? Black Hole Slam. Of course it is. That's mine. Yeah. Um, favorite match of all time? Ooh, okay, believe it or not, I think it was Starcade 96, maybe 97, whenever Sting fought Hogan and he, Sting took the belt, there was a match, it was... It was Earlier in the show, and it was Rey Mysterio Eddie, and Rey Mysterio had this like purple gear on and everything. Halloween Havoc '97. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, thank you. I knew it was '97 <laughs> something. Thank you. I was I was there. I've watched so much wrestling that yeah. I, they all blend together. But yeah, uh, Havoc '97. That that one. I'm a huge Eddie Mark, big time. He's one of the greatest of all yes. times. Halloween Havoc '97. The the Rey Mysterio when they start to rip the mask off yes. and it's hanging from him, yep. and it's just the the brutality that was that match all together was ridiculous. Um, what's your favorite fast food restaurant? Fast food restaurant, Taco Bell. What's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite food outside of fast food? Ooh, probably mm, probably a good steak. Okay. Steak somewhere. A good steak? Yeah. How do you eat your steak? Rare. That's the only acceptable answer. Exactly. <laughs> um, who is your favorite Avenger? Mm, I'm not into all that stuff. Believe it or not, I know that's shocking. But I'd probably say, I'm probably going to name one that's not an Avenger, but maybe Captain America. He is actually yeah. an Avenger. Good call. Um, so another question I want to do real quick is, uh, I was told that you recently had a big streak end around TAP. You want to talk to me a little bit more about that? Are you insane? Are you insane right now? Idiot. Well, that interview didn't end quite like we expected, but hey, it's wrestling. What can you do? Now, for the next independent showcase, you know I'm a sucker for an old school hill manager who can talk. Lucky for us, yes, all puns intended. We have a guest for just such an occasion. The man leading the talent in the ring and also leading in the courtroom because, yes, Lucky P. Larson Esquire, as he puts it, is actually an Esquire. Let's see what he has to say about independent wrestling, being in the business, and maybe even a little free-flow conversation about what we are missing in the wrestling industry. I enjoyed the conversation so much, just two marks, doing mark things, and chatting about some wrestling. Okay, guys, joining us right now, coming from TAP Wrestling, Lucky P. Larson Esquire. Lucky, thanks for coming on, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good, man. So we just finished up the show tonight. I just wanted to get your thoughts on a little bit of uh, independent wrestling right now. So how do you feel about independent wrestling in 2022 so far? Well, it's a hell of a lot better than it's been the last two years, I'll say that. It's, you know, it's, it's obviously 
an alternative for the people that don't want to travel around the country to the bigger shows because there are independent shows everywhere. And clearly, the stars of tomorrow are at the independent shows today. Every big star today had to start somewhere. And so the independent shows are generally where you're going to find them. How do you feel somebody like TAP has done coming out of the pandemic? It hit everybody so hard the last few years. How did you guys cope with it and how did y'all push through the adversity? Well, because you got people who really love performing, you got people who really want to do this, you got a dedicated fan base, and you know, whether there are 50 people or 500 people, you got people in the back who, to them, every show is a super show, a mega show, you know, a pay per view type quality show, and they're going to go out there and they're going to give you your money's worth. So I think if you've got the right organization, as long as you're allowed to perform, they're going to perform, they're going to do their best for you. So let's talk about where wrestling started for you. When did it become uh, such a major part of your life? 40 years ago. I've been a wrestling fan longer. I would say I've been a wrestling fan longer than most people in these locker rooms have been alive. There are a few exceptions, but I've been a fan for over 40 years. I've been blessed to be on the other side of the curtain for the last six and a half or seven. I've been to nine WrestleManias. I've been to Starcade. I've been to three WrestleMania after parties. One of my closest friends in the world is Lanny Poffo. In fact, I like to say I heard his Hall of Fame speech so many times before he gave it that I could give it. I still have it memorized. I could recite it to you right now if you wanted. It's absolute truth. So wrestling's been a huge part of my life for most of my life. So talking about the Poffos, I know they had such a rich history coming out of uh, Kentucky with those the, the shoot and the mud style like wrestling where they, they're the the less sanctioned, they're not the big territories, nothing like that. Tell me, what do you think about that style of wrestling when it comes up? What, do you, what are your opinions on the mud shows? Well, I'll tell you this, a lot of people don't realize this, but the first ever chair spot was a pile driver with Randy Savage and Ricky Morton. Uh, you're nodding that maybe you did know that, but a lot of people don't know that. Uh, you know, so it's, it's something that obviously everything had to get its start somewhere. And I think while there is a place for everything in wrestling. I think I've always been a big fan of emotions and storylines and angles and bringing people in and sucking them into can't, I can't wait to see what's gonna happen next because now while I can't do a 450 splash and I'm gonna go on a limb and guess you probably can't either, you know, there are only so many 450 splashes you can see if they don't mean anything. You know, and I longed for the days when we had one pay-per-view a year two a year, then it was three, then it was four. You know, I could, and I thought four was good. You'd have WrestleMania, the Survivor Series, the Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and you'd have three months to build up storylines between each pay-per-view. Now, you've got pay-per-views every few weeks. We're putting matches announced on a Friday for the show on Sunday, and people can't get emotionally invested, and because you're doing so many pay-per-views so often, you're getting matches for the 17th, 18th, 200th time, and you're trying to build up storyline interest, and people just, especially with so much wrestling out there, you know, with AEW and Impact and Ring of Honor and New Japan and WWE and NXT and all the independents, it's hard to pay attention to every single show and follow everything that's going on if you're that, if you're not that emotionally attached and emotionally involved. And that's what I think is missing today. So let me ask you a question then. If we're looking at it from that perspective and the, the quarterly pay-per-view system that they used to run on the four times a year, do you feel like the oversaturation of the pay-per-views is what's leading to a detriment in the storytelling process for professional wrestling? Without question. I have said for a long time 
that for someone who has is in a unique situation of being both a fan and being on the other side of the curtain, being both a quote-unquote smart mark and someone who understands the business more so than the general public does, I acknowledge that there are detriments to a business like this, such as the internet, such as spoilers, such as you know the obvious communication that people have now, where you can't do the same show around a circuit because people are going to know what happened there before you go to the next show. But to me, as a longtime fan and someone who now is involved, I think the number one issue is, as you call it, the oversaturation of the product and the oversaturation of pay-per-views, the oversaturation of big shows. I mean, you've got companies who are having to produce seven, eight hours a week of television. And at some point, people are going to say, okay, what else is on? You know, I mean, it, it's different when it was an hour a week, two hours a week, and you're flipping between real competition, and it was must-see. Now, there's so much, it's impossible to see it all. Or you're gonna have to put the rest of your life on hold. So that's, you know, if, if I had the pencil, that's what I'd do, but obviously I don't have the pencil. So speaking of some of the big boys, AEW, WWE, they seem to be drifting more towards, and I get a lot of heat for this statement, they're leaving professional wrestling and focusing solely on sports entertainment. What's your opinions on that? Do you think there's a differentiation between sports entertainment and true pro wrestling? Well, is there a difference? Absolutely. I, I think that that's why wrestling is sort of the ultimate variety show. They're, if done in a certain way, and I'm not going to say it's right or wrong, because obviously I'm not Vince McMahon, I'm not Tony Khan, I'm not Billy Corgan, but... I will say that to me, when you've got a show where you've got the hardcore matches, you've got the high spot wrestlers, you've got the angles and the storylines, you've got you know, the entertainment factor of it, you've got women wrestling, you've got men wrestling, you've got, you've got a combination of different things to bring in different people, there is room for both sports entertainment and pro wrestling. You know, not everybody is going to be enthralled by Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, because there were no Canadian destroyers. There were no 450 splashes. But to me, and I don't just say this because Lanny Poffo is one of my closest friends, but Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, WrestleMania 3 to me is still the measuring stick. And you didn't see any 450 splashes. You didn't see Canadian destroyers. You didn't see table spots. You saw great pro wrestling, a storyline, emotion, angle, two great athletes, and it was a phenomenal match on a great show. No one's going to mistake Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant for Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, but that brought something in too. You know, there's, oh, there's something there for everyone, and so there's enough there where you can combine sports entertainment and pro wrestling. And of course, the bottom line is, Given that Lucky P. Larson Esquire is actually an Esquire, and I have been a lawyer for 28 years, it's impossible for me to give you a short answer to a short question. <laughs> well, um, following that up, so if we look at wrestling as a whole and we think about where we're going in the future, what are things you would like to see come back into professional wrestling? Trends, titles, anything. What do you think the business needs to push forward? Well, clearly they need Lucky P. Larson Esquire to be called up to one of the bigger shows. I mean, that's, that would go without saying. But short of that, uh, I would like there to be a tapering off of so many pay-per-views. I think that's the first thing, is 
rather than having a pay-per-view every three weeks, let's have a pay-per-view every couple months. It doesn't have to be twice a year. I understand it's a revenue maker. I understand that people need to bring in the finances and with pay-per-views and the network and Peacock and everything. I get all that. But if you get enough people to sign up for a show because they just can't miss it, I don't think everybody is now on the line of, oh, I can't miss this show. Well, I can't miss that one either, or this one, or that one. There's just too much. I think you taper off the oversaturization just a little bit. I think you build back some of the storylines. I think there are, since you mentioned titles, I think having two brands with two top titles, two secondary titles, two women's titles, two tag titles, you've got the Cruiserweight titles, you've got the NXT titles, the NXT European titles, you've got so many titles eventually it can get a little watered down too. So, you know, I think when you've got fewer titles or fewer title changes, it means more. You know, I used to be able to tell you from Nature Boy Buddy Rogers to Bruno San Martino to Ivan Koloff to Pedro Morales, et cetera, et cetera. So I could go through every single champion. I could do that from Pat Patterson on with the tag champ, with the Intercontinental champs and the tag champs. But then once I start hitting, you know, the early 90s, no chance because they're, the titles are switching every five minutes and I can't do that. Do you think protected titles are something that's not in the business anymore? People say their world titles are the most protected. AEW did it with Kenny Omega. The, the IWGP did it when they put the strap on Will Ospreay. Do you think there's a such thing as a protected title anymore today? Or do you feel like it's all about who's going to move the needle and put butts in the seats? I think that to some degree, everything is about putting butts in the seats. I think that, you know, moving the needle is more for TV ratings, uh, which I, I believe is where that expression came from, where one talent was referring to another talent and another company saying, well, you know, you didn't move the needle like I do. And, you know, that may be true, but for a long time, it was also because that person may or may not have been shoved down our throats and the entire world was rebelling against him to the point where you bring in the top star in the history of professional wrestling as a crossover and he's still getting booed, you might get the idea, all right, maybe this is not the right time. But you can also do something with it. And if done correctly, it can get the big pop. One of the best lines I've ever heard in a promo was, and granted, the Raws after WrestleMania, until they started rebooking them because they knew the crowd was essentially 10,000 of me. And so they're going to crap on a normal Raw. You know, I saw little kids here just crying within the first 10 minutes, and we're thinking, you know, I don't know why you came to this show. This is not the show for you. But was when John Cena came out after beating The Rock in New York, and he came out to, of course, a chorus of booze, and he said, oh, this, you know, this should be, this should be a celebration tonight. I, it, it's WrestleMania, and, you know, I just won the title, and everybody's booing him out of the building. He said, I was going to dance tonight. I was going to do a kick. And, and the, the crowd is booing him. No kick? All right, uh, what about a twist? You want me to do the twist? And everybody's booing him. He says, I know what you want. And then he takes his foot, and he turns his foot, and he says, you want a little heel turn. And the place exploded. I mean, you know, a little nod. A little nod to the fans that understand what's going on. There's a lot that can be done. You know, so again, a very long answer to a very short question. 
So breaking the fourth wall, you see Cena do it in the past. You've seen guys like Double J do it in the past. Do you feel like that level of interaction and storytelling between the talent and the fans, do you feel like that's something some of the guys coming up today are lacking? Because you don't really see the storytelling be as deep with the fans anymore as it used to be. Well, I will say this, that, you know, and I understand that kayfabe is not the same today as it was 30 years ago. You know, up until recently, uh, I worked for Burt Prentice. You know, I was extremely loyal to Burt Prentice. Worked for him for six and a half years. You know, whenever there was a USA ring up, I was there. And I, you know, I owe my opportunity in my career to Burt Prentice and to a couple wrestlers like Mike Rapata, but primarily Burt Prentice. And Burt was a living, breathing embodiment of kayfabe to this day. You know, I remember growing up and being so shocked when the Iron Sheik was pulled over with Hacksaw Duggan driving. You know, I'm like, what in the world? How's that possible? You know, so I understand with the onset of the internet and spoilers and, you know, all the podcasts, no offense, but everything going on out there and all the backstage talk, you know, the, the book is a bit open. I think people understand what is going on. So I think that it is somewhat impossible to put the toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak, to get, you know, the animals back in the barn, whatever expression you want to use. You know, people understand it is what it is. And, I, you know, far be it from me to, to question or challenge that. But I will say that, speaking at least from my perspective, when you feel like the talent is kind of letting you in on it, kind of, you know, winking at you, acknowledging it, you know, then... That's something I find entertaining. And, you know, granted, there, there are different people. There are different branches of the audience. There are people that want to come here, and they just want to do nothing but believe in everything they're seeing. And that's great, too. You know, I, I've got people who have told me, sent me messages on Facebook saying, I want you to know I hate you for real, and I hope you burn in hell. You know, I've had people throw things at me. I've had people message me the worst things in the world. And all I can think of when I leave is, well, I guess I did my job. You know, but by the same token, you'd be amazed at how many people tell me they absolutely hate me. But then if they run into legal problems, I'm the first one they call. <laughs> so talking as a, a Hill manager, let's uh, go straight to the core of it. Who would you say your top three managers of all time or advocates, depending on the, the term you choose to use? Who would your top three be? Other than Lucky P. Larson Esquire, who is just, you know, the, the rough gem that has not yet been given the opportunity to prove his worth. Not including myself, I would have to say, number one, on the mic, without question, is Paul Heyman. I think when people refer to me as a poor man's Paul Heyman or a Paul Heyman wannabe, I, I always look at them and, and say, you realize I take that as a compliment, right? I mean, that's a terrible insult because I take it as a compliment. I think he is absolutely gold on the mic. Um, that's number one. As far as a combination manager, commentator, because I also have done commentary a lot as well. I was the color commentator for USA Championship Wrestling, their TV show for years. Uh, I would have to say Bobby Heenan, obviously, as a combination. And then just for pure wrestling, and it's also probably because the man is also a friend of mine as well, I have to give props to Jimmy Hart. Uh, because Jimmy Hart, I love the idea that he would come to the ring with a different jacket for each of his talent. And he can come out there five, six times a night and play essentially a different role each time he comes out there. 
because when I've had the Legion of Lucky, I've come out there with several different guys with very different styles, so I can relate to that. So I'd, I'd say those are my top three. And, you know, there are obviously very high-ranking honorable mentions like Jim Cornette or Lou Albano, although Lou Albano was more tag team manager than anything else. So, you know, I just think that managing is a very misunderstood and very lost art in today's world. There are not enough managers. You know, when I grew up, and maybe this is why I got so into uh, being a manager, that and the fact that, you know, I'm obviously not in the greatest shape to be a wrestler. Uh, although I have had a few matches. Jerry Lawler had to use a chain to beat me one time, but well, neither here nor there. Uh, every single person that I watched when I was growing up had a manager, whether it was Mr. Fuji or Slick or Freddie Blassie or Lou Albano or Jimmy Hart or Slick or Elizabeth or Johnny Valiant or Oliver Humperdinck. Every single one of them had a manager. So do you feel like the guys that are coming up today that have trouble on the mic, do you feel like they need the mouthpiece of a Without manager? Without question. I think that is the number one role for a manager today, at least in the independent circuit where I work, is guys who cannot talk. And I know this will come as a shock to you, but I like to think I can talk. Especially since, you know, when I'm not in a wrestling arena, I'm thinking on my feet in the courtroom. And yes, I'm really serious. I really, really am a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for a lot longer than I've been involved in wrestling. So yeah, I think that a lot of these guys, the one thing they're missing is people who talk for them. I mean, look at Kamala. You weren't gonna have Kamala cut a great interview. You know, so you got people who talk for them. Kamala, the missing link. You know, there are plenty of people out there, Yokozuna, who actually could talk, but they never let him. You know, so yeah, I think that's one of the main roles of a manager these days is talking and talking up his clients. All right, Lucky, I appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you hanging out and giving us a few minutes of your time, and I appreciate TAP for having us on. It was great talking to you, and hope to see you soon. Thank you. Anytime. I love it. Love talking about wrestling. This is a new segment from Botch Bots and Share Shots called our Rapid Retro Review. For our first edition of this, we will be doing literally, apparently, everybody's favorite Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble 1998. So here we go. It's January 18th, 1998, and we are in San Jose, California, kicking off the road to WrestleMania in the height of the Attitude Era. We open with a great video package saying what it means to be a champion. The opening match is between Vader and the artist formerly known as Goldust. Vader is a beast. The story building to the Rumble was epic. With Goldust leaving his wife and then turning on his tag partner, it was good soup. Rhodes, at the, this point in his career, I feel like looks most like his dad and wrestles most like his dad. You can see a lot of the American dream in the way he moves. The finish hits home with some interference from Luna, who climbs on Vader's back as he hits the Vader bomb for the 1-2-3. The second match featured a six-man tag match between, well, six little people. Please don't cancel me. There were surprisingly good work out of this group of guys. Sonny was the guest referee, and there was, you know, always some sunny days when she was around. Lawler, in 1998, would be canceled AF in 2022 with the way he said things. The IC title was on the line next, with Ken Shamrock going head-to-head -head with The Rock. This version of The Rock is interesting. Coming out of the nation and into his own, it was an interesting point in his career. Back and forth between these two of the greatest. My biggest complaint about Shamrock has always been that his facials were very monotoned. He always sold every move with the same face. The camera work during this match actually allowed us to hear The Rock calling some of the spots in the match, which I loved. 
After the nation interferes, The Rock uses the brass knucks to knock out Shamrock, and then he stashes them away in his shorts. Ya naughty boy. Shamrock kicks out, buries The Rock for the win, but wait, there's more. The Rock pleads to the ref, checks Shamrock's tights, and boom! Shamrock knocked out. There it is. The ref reverses his call, returns the belt to The Rock, and the double cross is finished. The tag straps were on the line when the New Age Outlaws defended against arguably the most sound and dynamic tag team of all time in the Legion of Doom. The LOD video package gave a great salute to tag team wrestling. This match worked well. The boys followed the rules, the heels did heel things, and the faces made comebacks and got the crowd behind them. You need to stop slapping your leg, Billy Gunn. You're better than that. After a little tussle, Road Dog hit Animal with a chair for the DQ and the champion's advantage, meaning they retained. Let's go into the Royal Rumble match. Leading into this match, Stone Cold Steve Austin was a marked man. Vince wanted him out. So here we go. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie start. So follow me here. Mankind and Terry Funk are best friends, but Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie hate each other. Perfect. That's clear as mud. Anyways, they start as you would expect two hardcore legends with plenty of furniture in the ring. Tom Brandy is in at three and then out rather quickly. The Rock comes out at four and gets double teamed. Mosh is the fifth entrance. I always loved those guys. A big moonsault from Funk and we're running through wrestlers. Phineas Godwin at eight ball, Blackjack, Bradshaw all come in. Cactus Jack is taken out by Charlie. At the number nine entrance, Owen Hart is coming to the ring. He is taken out by the NWA North American champion and his manager, Jim Cornette. Double J makes his appearance felt. Steve Blackman is at 10, and he's a technical monster. D'Lo Brown comes to the ring doing D'Lo Brown things at 11. Kurgan, Mark Miro, Ken Shamrock, and Headbanger Thrash wrap up the first half of the field. Shamrock, as you would expect, goes after The Rock. At 16, Mankind comes out, and he's got a second go at it. Goldust comes out in new makeup, channeling his internal cane. Mankind is eliminated by Goldust. Jeff Jarrett, the only NWA, NWA participant in the Rumble, comes out at 18. His cross-promotion work is cool, kind of opening the forbidden door. I was behind it. Honky Tonk Man, Ahmed Johnson, Mark Henry hit the 19, 20, and 21 spots. 22, there's no music. Is this Austin's spot? Ooh, the suspense. The mystery. We don't know. Kama Mustafa comes in at 23. I love The Godfather. This was a cool character. At this point, we've got multiple members of the nation. 24, Austin's music hits. Here he comes. He starts taking people out left and right. So, no more Mankind at this point. We got Henry Godwin, Savio Vega, Farouk. So we're getting closer to 30. Then bam, Dude Love comes back out, giving Mrs. Foley's baby boy the triple header. 29 and 30 were Chains and Vader, respectively. Austin rattles off four more eliminations. This leads us to our final four with Dude Love, The Rock, Farouk, and Austin. Farouk takes out Love. The Rock turns on Farouk, leaving just Austin and Rock. After a huge stunner, The Rock is out and Austin is going to WrestleMania. This event is always fun to watch and the Rumble never lets us down. It has everything we want. Hardcore fights, technical wrestling, Mick Foley pulling the triple header, Austin and Rock, the nation having all of its members in, uh, the headbangers. I mean, the list goes on. The amount of like Hall of Famers that represented this Royal Rumble will never be beat. Well, let me take that back. There's a couple that are coming. 92 was pretty good. You know, the first one was great. Big John Stud. There's a ton of Royal Rumble winners that dominated, but 98 was pure gold. Now, as we close another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots, I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. I want to remind you to go to wherever you do anything on the internet. Google. 
Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Twitter, Instagram, literally anywhere you have all the options. Like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are or how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm, helps find new listeners. Now, if you're feeling really generous and you're wanting to be one of the VIP people, you can head over to Patreon and donate to the cause. Get you some swag and help us get some special guests. It's a win-win. Also, you can find us on Facebook now. We are just putting stuff out there everywhere. As always, I am your host, D. Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people.